，来来来来来来来来来。Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is officially week one of 2022, and Happy New Year to everyone except for Glenn. Here's a public service announcement to be sure to start writing 2022 on all your checks. I'm Chris Louie, and with me I have my co-host Brian Deech, who made it to January 1st without a hangover. Oh, Chris, you think you know me so well, but、uh, you're correct. No hangovers here. We ring in the new year、uh, together as a family up here in about a foot of snow in Flagstaff, Arizona. And、uh, for the record, I'll be cashing checks, not writing checks this year. Sounds like a plan. And Glenn Medina, who always picks good wines, so he, he didn't have a hangover on New Year's Day either. Everyone, welcome back, and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for the podcast number forty-one in week one. Can you believe it? We made it to the end of the year, and, and then some.、Uh, I don't get it, Chris. So officially, week one of twenty twenty-two, but every, happy New Year's to everyone except me. What's up? Where's the love? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, we will explain that one in a future episode. You got it.、So、I'm just planting the seed for an awesome joke. I <laughs> got it. <laughs> No guests this week, but now that the new year has started, we are already booking guests out. So stay tuned. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our first topic, we have the age-old question of what happens when you put all your eggs in one basket. One question I get often from prospects and customers concerns single sign-on applications like Okta and One Login, and password managers such as LastPass and One Password. Since these applications are protected behind a single authentication method, they can potentially expose hundreds of logins and applications, and are organizations placing all their eggs in one basket by utilizing these services? Single sign-on, SAML, and password managers. Are meant to strengthen security because it's one strong password to protect hundreds of applications and logins. That way, you don't get people writing down passwords on a post-it note and taping it to their monitor or under their keyboard. While the company LastPass, their users are reporting that they're getting emails from LastPass indicating that there have been suspicious logins into their accounts. That is, someone successfully logged into the account with the master password. But some circumstance blocked the login, such as a sign-in from a new device or a new location. I, I don't get it, Chris. I mean, or or even I think、uh, Brian, you use LastPass, right? And that's how you、uh, you had to change your your main password and reapply two-factor, right? Just yeah, recently. What's, yeah. What's funny is when I think in 2017, the last time they had, you know, a breach,、uh, I was telling my wife and kids, it's like, hey, this is what we got to do. To set up MFA、um, on LastPass to keep our stuff even more secure, and my son's like, "Yeah, I already did that like a year ago, Dad." So you know, kudos out to to my son. But yes,、uh, Chris sent me a text on my on my way up to Flagstaff and said, "Hey, LastPass is the the、uh, the master password's been compromised," and so immediately I got home,、uh, reset the the master password, and updated some MFA stuff to have a little bit of peace of mind, and the kids did the same. Yeah, I looked it up. I, I remember LastPass having a a, a couple、um, events, and if I'm looking at this right, in 
they had an event where um, I guess the, a, a number of vulnerabilities were found against LastPass. 2015, intrusion of the company's server was detected. 2017, uh, Travis Ormany discovered a vulnerability in his browser plugins, which I think, Chris, you saw, you, you pointed that, that out as well. It's like, how many do they have to have before people really go, hey, is LastPass really that good? So interesting for me as ricky bobby would say if you ain't first you're last right they're <laughs> probably a victim of their own success here but yeah. their last pass yeah <laughs> uh, i i do look at this and i'm starting to wonder that maybe i should probably look at alternative password managers right now yeah yeah go go back to i think it was podcast number two when we talked about our our password manager experiences and chris did it only because he's cheap <laughs> it's it's open source and it's secure yeah and and to LastPass's credit like we we talk about it here you know there's there's nobody that can design a vulnerability free piece of code and I, I think LastPass for to their credit you know as soon as these vulnerabilities were discovered or as soon as they were disclosed like they, they got on it I remember when Tavis disclosed the vulnerability in their plugin they had an update out within hours uh, if I remember correctly, so they're they're doing their best here, and and I think they're doing a pretty decent job of that. But it's one thing you have to consider when you are selecting your password manager, a vendor of choice. So one thought on this, right, would be: so I worked at another company years ago, and anytime a competitor had a vulnerability in their in their software, everybody was quick to jump on LinkedIn and Twitter and start posting you know, crap about them. Like, you know, why would you go with this if you want to, you know, superior security device? And I always thought like, you know, until we start employing robots to create our code, we're almost certainly going to have a vulnerability ourselves. I think it's inevitable. And since moving from like a legacy box hugger type of mentality, right, where I was selling appliances and moving to the cloud, that, that issue kind of still follows you around, right? It's still going to be there one way or the other. I think the biggest difference that you can see right here is that with LastPass, I didn't have to really update any software, right? Like it's all kind of cloud managed. I had to reset some passwords and, and whatnot. But imagine if you had like a hardware token and there was a vulnerability in there and you had to straight up wait for a new one to get shipped to you in two weeks or something like that. Like is this, it's only a matter of time. I think there's benefits of stuff that is cloud managed, but also it's a, it's a giant red target on him, on them as well. I think it's better than nothing, right? And the fact that it's a service, you do pay for it. There's some expectation of, of coverage. I, I don't know if like if your information was stolen, what's the what's the culpability from from that that point on their side? Do you, do you know, Brian? Has have you ever looked at that and go, if you lost, if you incurred damages, does LastPass because you're paying for the service can can you get damages from them on that? You know, I actually didn't read the uh, terms and services. So I don't know. Chris, do you know? <laughs> we know what Brian's doing now. <laughs> I, I'm almost certain their lawyers put something in there that says we're not responsible. Well, what's interesting, yeah, I think you're right. Because when you log in, right, it gives you like this uh, password score, right? Like how well are you doing? How, you know, how new are you? Like how recently were your passwords changed? How long are they, the, the passwords in general? Um, what else was in there? Uh, the complexity like, of the passwords, them? yeah, reusing yeah, but, them and whatnot. 
But that, that's just for things that are on your side, right? This is like, if there's like gross negligence, there should be culpability there, right? Don't you think? Is it, and I guess the thing is, who defines gross negligence on that? That's for they a jury to decide. Up. Yeah. So you can almost say that there, you know, there's some type of responsibility right here with that, right? Like if they most certainly somehow the, the email address and the master password were, lo were, were, were lost, right? So you look at that and you say, well, how on earth is that data not like salted and encrypted at rest, right? Like why is that even, you know, remotely being able to, to be pulled out? That's one thing. Number two, that's like only half the, the keys to the puzzle, right? If LastPass came out and said like, listen, if you can use our platform, you got to do a username, you have to have a unique password for your master password, and you have to have device, you know, uh, fingerprinting turning on as well as multi-factor uh, multi authentication, then we will assume more security for you. Because even though that stuff was lost, like I was still protected, right? There was no new devices. Even if they did, they would have blocked it or MFA would have kicked in and I would have not approved the device. And then you have the difficult problem of proving damages. Like what was damaged? Did someone log into your bank account and steal a bunch of money? Well, that's pretty clear that they're damages. But if it's, I have to change 600 passwords on a Saturday afternoon, you know, well, what's my time worth? And is it worth it to file a lawsuit over that? No, this, I had is a... going, this is where I go on Craigslist and I look for some like high school or college age woke kid to write their little dissertation about how their feelings were hurt, that my passwords were leaked, and then I'll get all the money. <laughs> that sounds like a plan, Brian. <laughs> well, I had a, I had a bunch of Bitcoin that got stolen, and since it's all untraceable anyway, it's gone. Now LastPass owes me for Bitcoin. Is that a possibility? There's no. a lawsuit against, an ongoing lawsuit against AT&T right now, because AT&T did a SIM swap for someone and someone did get their Bitcoin stolen because AT&T was negligent in not confirming the user is who they say they are when they did the SIM swap. So that's actually an ongoing legal question right now. Is AT&T responsible for those losses? Gross negligence, right? So, Like, how was it done? Did someone come into the store and like, hey, I need to swap out my SIM? Or like, you know, or did they do it online? Do you have any idea how it was done or accomplished, Chris? I I don't remember for this particular case, it was you, typically you, you bribe an employee to do it. You give them like 500 bucks and they'll, they'll do it for you. Uh, you could social engineer your way. Like you said, go into a store, call up a customer service rep on the phone. I don't know how it was done in this particular case, but either way, they, they didn't verify the user enough and they did a fraudulent swim, SIM swap. I think it comes down to like how much you play, you know, how much you actually pay employees if they're reputable or not. I can remember, uh, I use this line all the time and I actually got it when I worked at AT&T and was, I wouldn't care if you murdered someone in front of me. That was like the attitude of one of my coworkers that was there. They just, they didn't care about anything. They were just there to collect a check and that's it. Like there was no morality there whatsoever. Well, these are just, I mean, this is entry level positions, right? That are selling phones and plans, right? Except for probably the manager who may be a little older. We're not, we're not talking, we're not talking high tech here, right? This is, Hey, you're a high school kid that just graduated. You're looking for a job. Come here. We'll pay you slightly above minimum wage. Am I wrong yeah. in that? From what I've read, 
from what I've read about cases like this, I think it does require a manager's approval to do a SIM swap without things like the hit the secret pin or uh, another identifying piece of information. I think it does require someone, at least a store manager, to do that. So I, I don't think they're allowing the high school kids to SIM swap mm. people. Unless the manager just says, hey, kid, here's my p- password and whatnot. Go ahead and do it, right? Right, right. So, so funny, funny fact about AT and T, and uh, this is like way back in the day. So I'm comfortable about talking about it. But they used to have this thing like when it was down, they wanted you to call people and ask them to update their cell phone plan, right? And so you would just log into Opus and you type in your your na- name and say, you know, you want to call somebody. And like right off the bat, anytime you call someone, they just pick up the phone and they were in desperate need of a cell phone. You know, you call them up, you would get a huge commission, like you know, like twenty or thirty bucks, right? But the, the customer would save $50 month over month. It was great. And then as you start doing this, like all of a sudden the, the, the call quality just falls off the face of the earth, right? Like you might get one or two at the very beginning and then you'll go like 60 or 100, right? It's like that, it's like that, uh, the, you know, they just tempt you with a little bit of crack and they get you hooked. I mean, they're just not giving you any more. You're just working harder and harder and harder for it. And it was like this day after day. As soon as you log in, it was an easy way to get these, these upgrades, but you couldn't get additional ones until we figured out if you change your zip code every single time you went to go make these calls that every, the first two calls you make, you would always strike gold, change your zip code, go to another one and just start just calling people all over the nation uh, and just racking in these huge commissions. You just sit there like in just pulling in this money. And then eventually they, they figured it out. They're like, Hey, you need to only update cell phone plans that are within, you know, five miles of your store, not in, you know, Google Africa brand. So, <laughs> give it give it to brian to gamify work there you go game the system game the system <laughs> the leads are weak they pay you extra for that that's right yeah right well last pass is repeatedly saying their systems were not breached at least this time and offered a few explanations of what's happening so their first explanation is number one the emails are sent in error no one actually got your your password it was just sent in error Number two, they're claiming the shaggy defense. They're saying it wasn't me, where LastPass claims it was a password reuse attack. And number three, the other explanation is the accounts being breached had their passwords compromised years ago in a previous dis- previously disclosed attack, and users just never changed their password. So LastPass is recommending all users turn on multi-factor authentication and periodically change their master password. Interesting. I actually thought that they actually were breached, but interesting to see that that's their their take on it. Imagine that they are and they just have no idea. Yeah, and this is just like that ubiquity hack that we talked about a while ago that said, you know, there's no evidence of a breach. Well, there's no evidence of a breach because you didn't log stuff. So clearly, yes. But I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with, with this one. This is getting a lot of news and hopefully there's some good follow up to this. I'll tell you what, I'm going to live with the shaggy defense from now on. It's always going to be, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> Couldn't have been me. Wasn't even there. All right. On to our next topic. In Bloomberg News, and for those of you who remember the super micro story they did about Chinese spying capabilities that turned out to be completely untrue, well, Bloomberg is now con- reporting a confirmed but cover up st- covered up story of China-owned Huawei using their supply chain of telecommunications equipment to hack a Chinese telecom provider. 
or a, a, one of their uh, partners, actually. The U.S. government has warned for years that products from China's Huawei Technologies, the world's biggest maker of telecommunications equipment, and they are really, really, really trying to get on, on the ground floor of 5G around the world. But the U.S. says that Huawei poses a national security risk for any country that uses them. Huawei and its supporters have dismissed the claim as lacking any kind of evidence whatsoever. Love them or hate them, the previous U.S. presidential administration lobbied heavily against allowing China anywhere near our core telecommunications network. The new story here is that back in 2012, Australian intelligence officials informed their U.S. counterparts that they detected a sophisticated intrusion into their country's telecommunication systems. It began with a software update from Huawei that was loaded with malicious code. So can we go back real quick to Supermicro? I remember that story, but I don't remember that story coming out as actually being false. Is that really true? And when was that announced? They, so they never issued a correction. They never walked it back. But the top security experts in the world, the, the people that I really respect, they went through the story. They went through their reporting. They went. They actually you know, did forensic x-rays on the Supermicro servers. And there was just absolutely no evidence to support their claim that China put this rice-sized chip in Supermicro servers to backdoor them. Okay, good. Good to know that. Because that stuff is used everywhere. And you know what? I'm with the, you know, with the previous administration, right? With Huawei. I don't want anything Chinese uh, around our telecommunications or heck, internet, anything like that. So I back them 100% on this. And I think where there's smoke, there's fire, right? 2012, or yeah, 2012 Australian intelligence proves out like they, that something bad was going on, supply chain or not. There was a way to get in there. I don't know. That's pretty suspect if you ask me. Is it just because it's a Chinese-based company selling Chinese hardware? Because if you look, I mean, last I checked, my iPhone was made in China. A lot of the laptops, the devices that we use made in China. So I, I get that they have probably chain of custody, but are you guys really shocked by this at all? I mean, concerned that there's other things in the devices that you use that may have code on it that could could lead to some type of information leak you guys aren't you guys don't think there's a there's a there's a there's a factor there around that so there's the hardware but there's also the the software right and i think that you know you look at our phone or a macbook yeah this stuff is manufactured in china but the software is is coded here in the united states or abroad in some in some aspects right but we have to have some type of peace of mind that there's a, a clear delineation. I think the problem with Huawei is that they're creating both the hardware and the software. And that's where it kind of, you know, uh, tramples that, that thin red line of uh, accountability. Yeah. I think it's, it's also the fact that Huawei is state-owned versus you know, Foxconn. They're technically a private company that assembles stuff for Apple. But Huawei is, is state-owned and there's at least now, at least confirmed cases of using their supply chain to abuse and, and spy on people that, that purchase their, their hardware. Makes for a great conspiracy th story, right? Theory story. I'm going to say, I think I saw, I went to Huawei's booth in 2017, maybe 2018. And this the hardware specs, like on their DDoS stuff was amazing. I mean, it was leaps and bounds further than like a, a Kona or an F5 or, or um, who's the other big one? 
that does the uh, the on-prem radware blew me away. And I was like, but it's, yeah, it's, it's state-owned. That freaks me out a little bit. What was the re- reality of those specs, right? Because everybody says, oh, these, these, you know, these devices, can you, do you think that was just a marketing ploy for them? Or it could they really breakfast. sustain that? Yeah. Gives you a back massage. Yeah. You open the C- you well, open the CD tray and it's a cup holder, you know, so. <laughs> I think when it comes to layer four, you can get away with, with stating some facts there as, as opposed to layer seven. I think when you start talking about the differences in security there, I think mm-hmm. it, it's, it, there's a stark difference, right? So if you come out and say that you have a box with FPGAs, right? And, you know, other specialized hardware offsets that are that are built into the platform to be able to absorb these DDoS attacks and it's it's two times bigger than anything else that's out there. Not bigger attack, but two times bigger than any other appliance that's out there. You gotta look at that and say, oh my God, that's pretty cool. But then you get you look at the the hyperscale part to it as well. Like can they put up a bunch of devices and do N plus one or you know scale horizontally to absorb even bigger attacks. I don't even know, but I just remember looking at it back in the day thinking, man, they, they're, they're onto something here. And for the your question about sourcing components, I, I talked to someone who used to work at a firewall vendor, and they said that for anything going into like U.S. states, U.S. federal government, they have specially designed or specially assembled firewalls. They're 100% made in the U.S. The components are sourced from the U.S., and those are marked you know, U.S. for U.S. federal government. And the ones that you get commercially that, that your average organization would buy, those are assembled and made in China and Taiwan and the like. So there's, they actually do make separate physical hardware devices, whether it's going for the, for the government or what's going into the commercial space. We can get U.S. only source components for like hardware firewalls. Yeah, I know when I worked at Bluecoat, we didn't have a separate proxy per se for the federal government but we did i mean they did run fips compliant software right so that software was locked it was specially coded so that way it can only run and it can only do certain feature sets so and it was hardened so that was interesting i used to love talking to any customer in like in sled that had fips compliance they're like well you have to get this box right here right and it was exponentially overkill for anything they need, but it was the lowest end FIPS compliance box that we had. So instead mm-hmm. of spending, you know, 20 grand, they had to spend like 150. It blew my mind away that, uh, you know, that could be used as a selling technique, um, you know, requirements and whatnot for, for local government, for sure. Yeah. And what I found is a lot of them just asked for FIPS compliant, but never turned it on. So <laughs> I thought that oh, was geez. interesting as well. So some auditor checking a box somewhere. Yeah. Well, this Huawei attack is definitely a supply chain attack, and it underscores some of the concerns that people have using foreign equipment. This is actually the exact same case that people laid out for Kaspersky, why Kaspersky should be banned from from the U.S. federal government, because Huawei or Kaspersky, they can make gear or software that passes, they pass the strictest security scans today, but what's to say they do not push a malicious update later after everything is in place, after the software is installed, after the gear is in place you know this is really truly trust no one security and what happened with the attack against the australian uh, telecom in in 2012 was they pushed a software update the update had malicious code it basically created a wiretap it it wiretapped certain conversations or certain parts of the network recorded it sent it off to a server in china and then it actually self-destructed itself it removed the malicious code after it was done so due to some insane forensic studies that the Australian intelligence firms did. 
they were able to reconstruct this and figure out that they were hacked. It's funny because, like, you know, I, I talk about this to my, my wife and kids, and they're like, yeah, so, I'm like, whatever. I'm like, you, you don't understand the grand scale of these. And I think that's the problem with the, the larger public at hand. Like, they look at this and they're like, well, I don't really care if people know about what I'm sending via text or on a phone call, right? Like, if it doesn't impact me, then I just don't care. And I said, well, what would happen, though? Like, we got into the wrong hands and forget where you're at or how you feel about vaccines. But like, let's say one day, like, like we want to go out there and just eliminate anyone that's either been vaccinated or unvaccinated, right? And they have this source of people on phone saying, hey, I've been vaxxed or I have not been vaccinated, right? That is now a target on you. It seems like, you know, total never going to happen type of thing, but you have to try to like equate it down to something that they can understand and why you should be against it. Your privacy is something that is priceless in my opinion yeah i i liken that to you know what, what you're talking about with your kids and and the family not not caring i liken that to when laws are 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 voted on in california and it's like let's make the bridge tolls go up another dollar or you know or whatever right let's let's tax gas increase it more it's because people that you know that primarily live in these large metropolitans don't don't pay for gas right because they uber wherever they need to go to or they don't have driver's licenses they vote for these increases and then it affects everyone else that has to commute in um, but it's the larger population that votes for that and and then they wonder why bread and milk and uber costs more than 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 normal and it's because you're voting for things for tax increases and like I said, like it or hate it. I mean, I'll pay my taxes, but man, I don't want to pay more than I, what I have to. So. so. So funny story about that. I didn't know, like, so Uber fares went up in price. And so in Arizona, we don't have the concept of like Uber share. And mm -hmm. I was in San Francisco and uh, I was like, I just picked the, the lowest one because it seemed like it was the quickest uh, to have them come pick me up. And I get into the vehicle and then we, we go down the street and then like, this dude jumps in the vehicle. I look at him I'm like, you need to get the hell out of my car, man. Like, this is my Uber. And he has his headphones in. He's like, he's like, what the heck is wrong with you, bro? I'm like, and then the Uber guy has to explain to me. He's like, no, this is a shared ride. Like we're, we're making stops along the way, picking it up and dropping off. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I met some characters using Uber ride share, good and bad. I'll say, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I have as well. And I won't do it again. So. I think we have I would, a topic for I, I the was, podcast. Yeah, I was the interesting character in this story, unfortunately. Because <laughs> you're getting mad at people as they come in and out. <laughs> yeah. All right, for our next topic, this came from an interesting question that Brian posed to us in a group iMessage, so I'll let him lay it out. Brian, talk to us about crowdsource information, the good, the bad, the ugly, the benefits, and the dangers. Yeah, so the the idea that I had was like it, I guess it's similar to the the social credit score with uh, you know with China, and the idea would be I posed to both Chris and Glenn and, and Todd, who you guys don't know, I said how long until what we put out on the internet becomes our reality, right? And Chris was quick to respond with like, hey, listen, we got a the gateway of truth, that's your social security number. But to me, I feel like if I go out there enough and say that my birthday is July first, nineteen oh eight. Eventually, I'm going to go to, I have no idea, Starbucks or to Kohl's. They're going to prompt me, um, you know, for a credit card. And let's say I want to sign up for it so I can get, you know, 50% off or whatever. 
and then it gets kicked back because like it doesn't match up right and i i know for sure what the the actual date of birth of me is but how far into the future do you think we are going to be that they're going to start pulling other indicators to figure out who you really are like take your online presence and marry that to your real life identity or do you guys think it's going to be a complete abstract of the two i think it'll be a little bit of both i think that like when you apply, I haven't had to apply for a job in quite some time, but uh, fortunately, but I know when you apply for a job now, part of what they do is they, they look up your credit score. Like, have you declared bankruptcy? Are you in dire financial straits? They look up your social media presence. Have you said anything racist? Have you said anything bad against the, you know, the employer that you're, you're trying to go with? So they, they collect all these pieces of information some of which can be crowdsourced information that says, hey, look what this guy said, or are you sure you want to hire this guy that he donated to this particular cause? Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a bit of both because they're going to do my typical criminal background check. That, that is a source of truth. Like, have I committed a crime or have I not committed a crime? Well, you can look up court records and get an answer pretty quickly. But then there's the gray, the gray line there that says, well, he said some dicey things on Facebook. Are we you sure you want to have this liability on your team? And I think that's where the crowdsource information would come in. We did a, a refi uh, on our house not too long ago. And I remember they, they pulled like the credit, whatever. And then they said, hey, you, you can actually ask for a copy of like how we attributed to this. So it wasn't like just like your FICO score. It was something else. And I have to go and, and look it up. And I said, yeah, you know, whatever. Just send it to me. And uh, it came in the uh, in the mail. It was a, you know, I don't know. Do you guys remember LexisNexis? Which one? You remember what? LexisNexis. Do you guys remember that? It was, yeah, it was yeah. Google Lexus, before Google Nexus. was there. Yeah, Thomson yeah. Reuters. And, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember Lexis. And so they actually uh, uh, sent me a letter. It was like, here's your thing. It's, you know, your one-time use passcode. And this thing pulled like 200 pages of, of historical Brian Deach. I mean, all the way since from the moment I turned 18, it was on there and documented every business I've ever owned. I mean, any credit card I've ever applied for, it was on there. I was blown away. And this is how many times Brian called out people at an airport for not washing their hands. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. And, oh, can you imagine what, what, as your future employer and you called him out? It's like, dude, I remember you. Like, oh, you're the uh, guy. You're the big guy that chased chased me out of the bathroom. Well, dude, why didn't you wash your hands? <laughs> I probably would ask that. Like, one of the stories that came out just a couple of days ago that prompted me and said this is probably be a good topic for the podcast was that uh, a ten year old girl was asking her smart device. Uh, like give me some challenges and the mom and the, the, the daughter were playing like you know can you roll over with a shoe on your head or something like that just random challenges and the smart device or the smart assistant picked up on a current tiktok challenge and that should make a lot of people cringe because any kind of tiktok challenge is cringe worthy for sure but there's a tiktok challenge going around that says plug your phone charger in halfway into the outlet and stick a penny in the middle and then you know that pretty much shorts it out and it blows up and I guess this smart assistant combed through the internet and looked for some challenges, found this TikTok challenge and told the 10 year old girl, go find your phone charger, stick a penny in the middle and see what happens. And that, that freaked out the mother completely understandably. Uh, but it's, it's that crowdsourced information. How can I get my link to the top of Google or whatever search engine this smart assistant used in order to 
spread information like this out. And to their credit, the vendor of these these a smart assistant they fix this right away. But occasionally things like this get through, and and that's because these smart assistants they go on the internet, find out what's the top result, and just read it out to you. How many more are like that that are out there that we don't know about or don't hear about? That's concerning, to me anyways, as a parent. For our last topic, and this will be a rotating topic every week, since this is the first episode recorded after Christmas, did you guys get anything cool for Christmas or did you get the family anything cool? So I got a smart jump rope as a gift. I haven't tried it out yet, but the concept seems interesting. I also picked up a 3D printer for myself. It was on sale and couldn't resist that. It has not come up yet, but it's something that always interested me. Give me enough time and I'll print up some PebCAC merch that hopefully I'll have in time for a one-year anniversary episode. So I got the, you know, the kids always ask for like one big ticket item. So it was, it was a mix. Like there was like, you know, some, some clothes, like an Apple watch, I think, uh, Legos and whatnot. Uh, my wife did get me a, one of the, a newer DJI drone that's a little bit more portable. And that thing is phenomenal. I can't even tell you how capable that thing is. It's so much fun. Nice. nice. So I want to know, what does a smart jump rope do? Does it jump by itself? Does it count? I got to know. I think it counts. Yeah, it syncs with your phone, and then it says how many jumps did you do and how many calories did you burn, what was your intensity. So I think it just collects that data, gives it to you, and then presumably probably sells it to someone in China to, at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And then it audibly says, don't stop, you're still fat. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so so my favorite middle daughter, and I say that because I have a favorite oldest daughter and a favorite youngest daughter. They're all my favorites. Well yes, um, got me some cool socks to wear for the podcast. Um, she knows we do dad jokes of the week, and so she got me some socks that say "socks for the halibut." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So thank you, Harley. Love them. <laughs> so appreciate it. Call out to her. And the topic of the Dad Joke of the Week. Dad Joke of the Week. We continue to get great comments about it, so this week I'll go. A string walks into a bar. The bartender looks and says, we don't serve your kind in here. So disheveled, the string leaves. He twists himself up, parts his hair, and then walks back into the bar. And the bartender says, aren't you the same guy from just a minute ago? The string says, nope, I'm afraid not. <laughs> wah 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 brilliant brilliant, brilliant. Like who you are that's right that's a dad joke right there all right to wrap things up users are reporting that their last pass accounts have been breached but LastPass is denying it bloomberg news finally published the smoking gun in the case against chinese owned huawei crowdsourced information can be potentially dangerous and the host had an awesome christmas that's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pepcac Podcast. You can help us grow the, the podcast by telling somebody else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pepcac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Lloyd. Thanks for listening. Happy 2022. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Thank you, everyone. Happy New Year's. <laughs> <laughs>